0: You're listening to the Touch'em Up Podcast. I'm your host, Double M, and on today's episode, we have UFC Vegas 30, Gone versus Volkov, preview, predictions, and analysis, where we go over tomorrow night's UFC card live from the Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada. And, and of course, in the main event of the evening, you have a pivotal matchup in the UFC's heavyweight division between top-ranked contenders. First up, the undefeated, number three-ranked training partner of the heavyweight champion Francis Ngannou, Cyril Bonhamin Gan, coming into this fight with a record of eight victories and no defeats, going up against the number five-ranked Alexander Drago Volkov. So without any further ado, let's get this started and step into the ring. All right, all right, all right. We are back, locked, loaded, and ready to give you another week. Yes, another week of picks for the fights. Of course, we uh, didn't do too well last week. We had a little bit of a, a little little bit of a hiccup, you know. Our our big win, I guess, in terms of picks was at UFC 263. We went seven and two overall out of nine picks. So pretty pretty good. Um, I believe. All of the pay-per-view picks were right, except for one, and then we missed one on the prelims. But, you know, a good week, then a not-so-good week with the last fight night uh, between—with the main event between the Korean zombie Chan Sung Jung and Dan Ige. That is a fight we will discuss on another episode. I want to get these picks out as quickly as I can, and then I will have a recap of this fight night, along with the Jung versus Ige card, because— we did happen to have, or we do happen to have a week off from now until obviously the big boy UFC 264, McGregor versus Poirier three, or Poirier versus McGregor three. I guess you would call it that since Poirier just got the last victory. So his name should be first. Um we did lose a fight on that card, a big, big fight. Um, it's gonna get moved to UFC 265, it looks like. And that was a welterweight bout between Kevin the Motown, Phenom Lee. And Sean Brady, the undefeated 13-0, heavy, heavy prospect and uh possible future title challenger at 170 pounds. Kevin Lee returning to the 170-pound division. Um, you know, that was a big fight for me. It was a fight I was really looking forward to predicting and breaking down. It's a fight I've talked about. Uh I talked about it with Eric Nixick, who has worked with Kevin Lee throughout all of his career, alongside Robert Follis, who obviously passed away. Um You know, We talked about that fight a little bit on the last interview, so if you didn't get the chance to listen to that interview, then go back and check it out for sure. Um, That was a big fight, and uh, I'm pretty upset because Brady is a guy that I've talked about on this podcast multiple times. I even have an episode far, far back. I believe it's the one. It was the fight where he submitted, I want to say Christian Aguilera. Um, I, I titled the episode The Brady Show. And uh, ever since then, I've been really, really high on this kid. and 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 I really, really think he can make waves in that one hundred and seventy pound division um coming off a big submission victory over Jake, the Celtic kid Matthews. So that was a good fight. But obviously, we lost that fight. But we've got fights to look forward to this weekend. Um, you know, not the biggest fights by any means, but a big heavyweight fight, a lot of uh, a lot of really, really good matchups overall and just something I really, really am looking forward to um, breaking down for you guys. We're going to start off in the prelims in the Walter weight division with a highly touted prospect, an undefeated fighter, 13-0 Shavkat Nomad Rachmanov, um, coming into this fight, 13-0 against Michael Prazeres, or Michelle Prazeres, who holds a record of 26 victories and three defeats. Now, I'm going to be honest. I ended up changing my pick on this one. Originally, I was going with Prezeris because I thought that, you know, you look at my Michelle Prezeris and, you know, he was in the UFC for a while, had some injuries, uh, you know, took some time off and then came back into the UFC. Um, but, you know, if you look at his record and everybody that he's fought, he's fought some of the best of the best. And he has a decision victory over top welterweight contender and former title challenger, uh, Gilbert Burns. He's got a decision victory over him. Um, I believe he's got fights against here. We're going to pull it up because if you look at his, his record, you know, he's a very, very talented guy. So let's see if we go back to 2013, he's got a win over Jesse Ronson. He lost to Paulo Thiago. Uh, let's see a win over Meribach Tysimov via decision, which was kind of a big win back in 2014. Um, a victory over v- Valmir Lazaro. Um, he lost to Kevin Lee, but again, fighting tough tough competition before Lee really, you know, went off and eventually got that fight with Tony Ferguson. He lost that fight via decision. Um, he has a win over Gilbert Dorino Burns via decision back in September of 2016. Um, a win over J.C. Cottrell. Uh, let's see. A win over Mods Burnell via submission in the third round. A win over Josh Berkman via first-round submission. A win over Bartosz versus via first-round submission. A win over Zach Cummings via decision. A win over Desmond Green via decision. And then he lost to Ishmael Nardia via decision. So he's coming back after uh, being gone since February 2019. So over two years off, and he's coming up against the big, big, highly-touted prospect out of Kazakhstan, that is Shavkat Rachmanov. So um, I, I think that, uh, you know, if you look at a guy like Rachmanov, he does have the tendency to get taken down. And normally he doesn't mind not stuffing the takedowns because he can lock up a submission. His best submission is going for that triangle. He's very good at, you know, locking up the triangle, turning the corner. Um, hooking the leg and getting the tap. That's probably one of his best submissions. He's good from the top position on the ground with ground and pound, and uh, you know he can work from the top. And then if you give your back up, he can look for a submission and flatten you out. Um, he can look for a triangle from the top and then roll to his back and cut the angle to uh, cut off any additional space you might have in between your neck and, uh, or the opponent's neck and the legs of, Rockmanov. You look at his first fight in the UFC. He has a victory over first uh, via first round submission over a really, really talented guy and a tough guy to beat. In uh, why why is his name Alex Oliveira? I'm sorry, I don't know why it took me so long. Alex Cowboy Oliveira. He got that fight um, via a first round guillotine choke. Uh, you know, Oliveira was pushing him up against the cage, working for a double leg takedown. Uh, Rockmanov had his legs spread, his base was widened, Um, you know, Oliveira's head was on the outside, he went to turn the corner, he locked up the guillotine choke, turned the corner, locked up the guard, and got the sub, the tap in the first round, that was at UFC 254, and uh, that was his first fight in the UFC, but you look at some of his highlights of his other fights, you know, a lot of his wins come by way of submission, a lot of finishes, um, I don't know if this guy's ever gone to decision in his career, Um, I believe he has a few times. We're going to actually pull that up really quick. Let's see if I can get this to pull up. We're going to go to this right here, and we're going to go to the fight card. Sorry, guys, I didn't have this uh, pulled up, so forgive me. I had it up earlier. Oh, you know what? Here it is. Here it is. Okay, so I do have it. Let's go to the prelims. And we've got the Shavkat Rachmanov. Yeah, here it is. Okay, cool. So, wins for Rachmanov. You look at his record overall, like I said, 13-0. and And the way he gets his victories, he's got 54% of his wins coming by way of knockout, 46% via submission zero wins coming by way of decision. So this guy's a finisher, 13-0, 13 finishes. Um, more of a knockout artist than a submission artist, but it's pretty close, 54% to 46% in terms of KO versus sub. So I really like Rockmanov, but I do think this is a really, really tough fight. And you know, if I was a betting man and you were going to bet on this fight, I would probably go with Prezeris for a bet because I believe Rockmanov is a heavy, heavy favorite. I don't know if the odds are listed currently. Yeah, no, they don't have the odds listed on the UFC website, but you know, Rachmanov's good. He's good on the feet. He's got a one-two that's very, very solid. Look look for him to land that one-two. He's got some good footwork, good movement. He is pretty light on the feet and moves in and out very well. Um, one of his best weapons on the feet is going to be that left hook and also the knee up the middle. So if he's able to back Prezeris up against the cage, look for him to time the takedown attempts with that knee up the middle and then look to hurt and then obviously go for the hooks against the cage and the heavy punches and the combinations. He's not the most technical when it comes to his striking, but he can land. And uh, when he lands, he does have the tendency to hurt people. He hurt Oliveira early, and then Oliveira kind of ducked his head to avoid the shots. He came up the middle with that knee and uh, hit him on the eye, and it did hurt him. But uh, Oliveira was able to catch him in the body lock, turn the corner, in the over under and get him up against the cage and do some pretty good work, but he is not easy to take down. Um you look at his overall takedown defense and he's got a takedown defense of uh, it's not listed. For some reason it's not listed on the site, but uh, I do believe he has a very solid takedown defense and you know, he 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 has gotten taken down But sometimes he will give up the takedowns with his forward pressure. So then he can try to lock up a submission. I don't think that's something you're going to want to do against a guy like Michel Prezeres because he's not the best striker. He does wing his punches. He is heavy, heavy shots. But the only way he's going to win this fight is by using that pressure, pushing forward, getting in the face of Rachmanov, pushing him up against the cage and getting a takedown and working from that top position and eventually looking to either grind it out from a half guard or the full mount and uh, possibly from a side control, but more than likely it would be from the half guard or the full guard and just landing some ground and pounds sticking on the top, not allowing Rockmanov to get his hips underneath him and stand up on the feet and uh, look to use your top position and get a submission. I believe he does have a finish via North South choke, which is something that is not very easy to do in, you know, professional mixed martial arts. When you look at his uh, ways of winning a fight in Prazeres. It's mainly he's trying to sub you or he's going to try to decision you. He's more of a decision fighter than a finisher. Um, 38% of his wins coming by way of submission, 54% via decision, and 8% via knockout. He does remind me of a bulkier Fabricio Verdum in a lower weight class. I don't know. I just get that kind of vibe from him. Not from his fighting style, um, kind of, because like I said, he's not much of a striker. He's kind of sloppy on the feet, but he will look to take you down get you up against the cage in the over-under, look for some for a takedown and then work his superior jujitsu from the top position. If Rachmanov doesn't respect the takedown game of Prezeris, he is going to take him down and he is going to do some work from the top and he might win just based off of top position dominance and not, and Rachmanov not being able to get back up to his feet. But I do like some of the scrambling ability of Rachmanov. I do think he can get up to a hip and, uh, you know, use that overhook to stand up to his feet. But overall, I'm going to go with Shavkat and Rachmanov to get this the win via decision. I think the first round goes to Prezeris. I think it's close. I think he does get a takedown. I think Rachmanov looks to lock up a submission, but he doesn't get it. And uh, overall, you know, I think that Prezeris' is, uh, muscle, and the, muscle, the more muscle you have, the more oxygen it requires to, uh, you know, the more oxygen it requires to have those muscles be able to perform at the highest, at the best of their ability. And the longer the fight goes, he's going to tire out. He's going to eventually, um, just get exhausted. He's probably going to get taken down by Rachmanov. Um, I do think that we could see another, uh, Rodolfo Vieira, Anthony Hernandez style of fight where, you know, Prezeris is the better guy in terms of jujitsu. It's not obviously going to be at the same level. If Rachmanov does submit, uh, Prezeris, but I do think we could see a thing where Prezeris' takedown game and his top pressure works really well in the first round. He tires himself out, and the longer the fight goes, um, Rachmanov's able to get some takedowns, work on the feet, land some good shots, and uh, possibly stuff a sloppy takedown attempt from Michel, and then spin, take the back, and work some ground and pound. I'm going to go with Shavkat Rachmanov to get the win via a third-round TKO. I think Prezeris is going to tire himself out. It's going to be really hard for him to keep that pace and pressure going because he is, like I said, a wild fighter with his strikes just so he can get you up against a cage and work for a takedown and then work his superior top pressure and use his strength to hold that top position. So I do think that is something you're going to have to look out for, but I think the longer the fight goes, um, Prezeris is just going to tire himself out and uh, or get really, really tired based on the pace, pressure, and cardio of Rachmanov. Rachmanov's going to eventually stuff stuff a takedown take the back, and uh, I'm going to say a third-round TKO. So my pick is Shavkat Nomad Rachmanov to get the win via third-round TKO. All right, up next in the light heavyweight division, you've got a bout between Kennedy and Jeku. I'm sorry if I'm saying that wrong. I think it's Njekuzu. I think that's how you say his name. Forgive me if I'm wrong, versus Danilo Marquez. This is a really, really good fight. Obviously, Kennedy and Jeku, and Jeku he is coming off a— A big win over uh, a guy out of city kickboxing. I cannot remember his name. I think it's Carlton, not Carlton minus. What is his name? Uh, Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Why is his name escaping me? Okay, Carlos Olbert. He he, he fought out of city kickboxing. This is a really, really tough fight at UFC 259. A really tough fight for Kennedy and Jacques Um just because of the pace that Olberg came out with in the first round I mean he hurt him immediately he threw a, an uppercut a jab and then hid the the lead high kick behind the jab and uh, it, it stunned and and Jekywu and and he just went backwards he covered up for almost the entire first round um, Olberg was fair framing off landing right hand left hook to the body right hook to the body left hook to the body knees to the body. Front kicks, pop, 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 pop. He was just coming at him and not stopping. He dominated him in that first round. The longer the fight went in the second round, obviously, Ulberg was slowing down because he just kind of went balls to the wall in the first round. He was slowing down, and Jeckazu was kind of just picking his shots, throwing that straight left whenever he could, throwing the jab, throwing the one-two, throwing the two, throwing the hook. And uh, Safe Sayed was telling him like, "Hey, you can you can beat this guy. Just keep the pressure up." kept that high guard, pushed him back, landed a left hand, landed a left hand, boom, countered him with a right check hook as he was up against the cage, dropped him like a sack of potatoes and got the second round knockout. Um, a big, big win for him after some heavy, heavy adversity in that fight and um, a really, really tough matchup for him, uh, but he was able to come out of it and get that second round knockout. Prior to that, he beat Darko Stojic. Via decision. And then I believe before that is when he lost via submission to Paul Craig. That was at UFC on ESPN 2 um, Barbosa versus Geishi. He ended up getting caught. I want to say he got caught in the triangle choke and got submitted by Paul Craig. If that's not the correct submission, forgive me, but I believe that is what he got caught with. Um, But he showed up real big in that Carlos Olberg fight, and it was a huge, huge victory for him because Olberg looked very, very solid and looked so good in that fight. And if you go back and listen to my UFC 259 preview show with um, the striking coach out of Hard Knocks Boston and the striking coach of the New England Cartel, Jake Mainini, he, he had a very, very, very solid um, breakdown of that fight. And that was one of his most look forward to fights on the card. And I didn't really know much about that fight because I didn't study up on it too much, but, um, shout out to Jake Manini for, you know, making me tune in for that fight. And I'm glad that I did. And uh, when you look at his opponent, Danilo Marquez, the only way he's going to win this fight is by pushing forward, pushing him up against the cage and getting those awkward style of takedowns. We've seen in Jekazu, in and have trouble with the submission heavy fighters with guys who can take them down, who can work from the top, who can possibly pull them into guard like Paul Craig and lock up a submission. That's always, that is something we've seen him have trouble with. Um, heavy, heavy grapplers. Um, the only way that Marquez is going to win this fight is by pushing forward and getting those awkward style of takedowns. You know, he's going to start the fight and he's going to shoot ahead on the inside single, you know, turn the corner, then drag you back the other way to get the takedown. If he can't get the single leg, he'll lift the leg up high and push you back with an underhook on the leg, he'll kind of hook the leg, push you and then drag you down to the ground. He'll go he'll go single leg transition to a double leg, pick you up in like a uh kind of like a cradle position in amateur wrestling and take you down and eventually look for you to spin out so he can and give up your back so he can take your back or he can work from the top position. You saw again the fight against Mike Slow or Slow Mike Rodriguez. He was able to get him up against the cage and work a lot of takedowns from there. And even if he worked his takedowns from the center of the cage, he would, he would push back, push back, push back until he got to the cage. And then he would work that triangle leg mount. Like we see, you know, Habib Nurmagomedov do. He was one of the first people we've seen actually do that in the UFC. And we see a lot more people utilizing that position, you know, locking up the, locking the legs of the opponent on top of each other, crossing the feet, and locking up the triangle leg mount. So then the opponent doesn't only have to worry about getting up. They have to worry about uncrossing their legs, then getting their legs free, then getting up to a hip, then using the overhook in the under position, and then, you know, rotating off the fence to get back to the center. Um, he's very good at that, and he doesn't stop with the takedowns. It's going to be attempt after attempt after attempt. So if Injequazu's takedown defense and his distance management isn't good in this fight— it's going to be trouble for him it's going to cause a lot of problems for a guy like kennedy and Wazou. it's going to cause trouble and i think it could cause trouble for him the problem is i think that if he gets the takedowns early on um it could be a long night for kennedy if he's able to uh if kennedy's able to stop those takedowns early in the fight and make those shots a little bit more telegraphed from danilo marquez that is going to be good for him and i think eventually just the heart the grit the determination to keep pushing forward even after you're taking a beating i do think he'll get taken down by Marquez i do think Marquez will work his top pressure probably later in the first round i think it's going to be harder for him to take him down early on in the fight but i do think that the later the first round goes he is gonna get that takedown and uh i think eventually and is just gonna keep peppering with that straight left the right hook, Keep moving forward, boom, boom, trying to land that left high kick behind the left cross, Um, trying to land the jab to a lead high kick. I think he's going to just use his height and use his reach, and eventually he's going to land a good combination, a straight left and a right hook. He's very good with that right hook. He has a lot of power in it. I think he lands that right hook, drops him, jumps on him, and gets the finish. So I'm going to go with Kennedy and Jacuzzi to get the victory over Danilo Marquez via a second-round knockout. I'm really looking forward to this fight. I want to see what Kennedy has to offer again after such an impressive performance and a tough, gritty performance in his last fight. Uh, What is the next fight up? We have a fight in the lightweight division between Henato Moikano, who comes into this fight with a record of 14 victories, 4 defeats, and 1 no contest, going up against Jai Herbert, who comes into this fight with a record of 10 victories and 2 defeats. This is a big, big fight for both guys. Jai Herbert obviously came into the UFC with a lot of hype. I believe he was a former Cage Warriors world champion. Forgive me if I'm wrong. I'm not sure if it was here. Let me see, actually. I believe it was Cage Warriors. Hold on one second. Pull it up. Hmm. Let's see. Yeah, it was Cage Warriors. Okay, so he was a former Cage Warriors lightweight champion. He came into this fight with a big, big, um, you know, a lot of hype surrounding him. I should say, and you know, it was well deserved because you watched the fight against Francisco Trinaldo in his UFC debut. Before he got finished, he was he was dominating that fight. He uh, trains alongside Leon Edwards, so you know he's got good range, good management, good. Good distance control, good kicks to the body. Um, a really, really solid one, two and a good three, two. He likes to go jab hook cross. One three two. One-two hook cross body kick. One, one, two, hook, body kick. Boom, boom. You know, a lot of really good movement. That's something I think we're going to have to watch out for in this fight from Herbert is the good lateral movement, the in-and-out movement, constantly using the hands to fake and feint, in-and-out. And And if he's able to dictate this fight at range and keep it at the kicking range, I think he can dominate Enato Moicano. Moicano's a good striker. Obviously, he ran into Rafael Fazeev in his last fight and uh, got hurt with that brutal left hook to the body, right hook up top, or right straight up top. And then as he let go, boom, a left hook dropped him and finished him. He protested the stoppage, but the ref did the right thing in stopping it where he did. And, uh, you know, but Moicano has some good wins. I mean, he's got a win. He's got wins over Cubs Swanson. He's got wins over Kelvin Cater. He's got a win over Demir Hodzovic via quick, quick first-round submission in his 155-pound UFC lightweight debut. He had a fight against Brian Ortega where he was dominating the fight on his way to a victory before he got caught in a guillotine choke in the third round and got submitted by T City. They don't call him, you know, you know, obviously but that's against Brian Ortega so there's no shame in that game. He has a submission victory over Swanson. It wasn't I think he was the first guy, one of the first guys to submit Cub Swanson. I believe uh, Max Holloway also did it via a mounted guillotine choke, but you know, Moicano's a tough guy and he's got good striking. Even against Fazev, he was really good at landing that right straight to the body, you know, holding or framing off with the lead hand, right straight, left hook, right straight. He's got very, very good low kicks. Look for him to tack inside and outside low kicks on Herbert to slow down the lateral movement, slow down an in-and-out movement so he can be stationary, and then he can look for his takedowns or he can look to land his punches up top. He's got very, very solid boxing combinations, good, you know, kicking game, a good striking game. If he uses those low kicks, he can slow down Herbert and cause some trouble for him on the feet, but that is not a place you want to be against Herbert. The best path to victory for Moicano is to use his wrestling, use his wrestling, use his jujitsu, shoot a double leg. If the opponent stops it, you know, peek your head out the side, eyes to the skies, turn the corner, take the back, get your hooks in and look for the rear naked choke. If they're able to stop that and give up their, uh, the top mount, look for the, uh, arm triangle choke, you know, look to take the back and get the submission like you did against Hodzovic in your UFC lightweight debut. I think that's where this fight goes. I think early on Herbert is going to pay, piece up Renato Moicano. I think that Moicano is going to be a little bit hesitant just because of how badly he got knocked out against Faziv. I think he's going to be a little bit worried about his chin. He's gotten knocked out by the Korean zombie and then obviously like we just said, Faziv. So he has gotten knocked out. He has gotten his chin tested. You don't want to stay on the feet for too long at range against a guy like Herbert because Herbert is dangerous and he can knock him out. There's no doubt about it. If Herbert's able to land his strikes at range, he can definitely knock out Moicano. And that's something I'm a little bit worried about is the durability of Moicano coming into this fight. But I do believe that at some point, Herbert's going to make a mistake give up a takedown, either a trip takedown up against the cage, or like I said, Moicano's going to shoot. Herbert's going to stuff it, but Moicano's going to follow it, um, look to transition to a body lock, get a trip, or get the body lock, take the back, drag him backwards via tripping out his leg, and then getting the hooks in. I think he's going to take the back of Herbert, get the choke and get the submission. My pick is Hanato Moicano to defeat Jai Herbert via a second round rear naked choke submission. This is a really close fight. This is a tough fight to call, something you guys definitely want to be on the lookout for. This is going to be violent one way or the other, but I'm going to go with the veteran here in Moicano just based on the experience, based on him not being incompetent on the feet and having good striking Good kicks, good punches, but the jiu-jitsu game is where he's going to shine. So, Hanato Moikano to get, to get the, ugh, Hanato Moikano via second round rear naked choke. All right, up next on the card, you have a welterweight bout between Tim the Dirty Bird, means a longtime veteran in the UFC and a longtime veteran of mixed martial arts, coming into this fight with a record of 31 victories, 12 defeats, and 1 no- One draw and one no contest going up against another veteran, Nicholas Dalby, who comes into this fight with a record of 19 victories, three defeats, one draw, and two no contests. Both of these guys are veterans of the sport. Um, This was a fight that I believe both of these guys were supposed to fight different competition. I believe Nicholas Dalby filled in for somebody who fell out against Tim Means or vice versa. Somebody fell out of an original fight and they ended up getting booked against each other. This is a really, really solid fight and I'm really looking forward to it. When you look at a guy like Tim Means, um, primarily fights out of the southpaw stance, but man, this guy is crafty, he's a veteran, and he's dangerous. He has one of the best jabs. Um, You'll see in the Walter division. I mean, Southpaw, he can just pop that jab out. He can double it, triple it up, and he can dictate the pace of a fight based off of that jab. You know, along with the footwork, along with the fakes and feints, along with his ability to cut angles and keep moving and keep control of the opponent with the lead hand, he's very, very good. He's very solid and he's very crafty. He's also got some really good elbows. Um, If you look, he's got some lead, really good lead elbows. Um, good elbows over the top in the clinch position, good knees. Um, they don't call him the dirty bird for nothing. He can make the fight dirty. He can push you back, and he can hurt you. Um, You look at the fight against, uh, what's his name, against Mike, or Platinum Mike Perry. He dictated that fight with the jab. The jab, the right hook, the straight left. Everything was working for him. The jab to the left uppercut, to the right hook, the jab to the right hook, straight left to the right hook, double jab, triple jab, jab angle, jab slip, boom, boom, boom. You know, he was just constantly being able to stop the forward, heavy brawling pressure of Mike Perry with that jab. And I think if he uses his jab constantly and consistently, again, in this fight against Nicholas Dalby, I think you can see a lot of the same. But The problem is with Dalby He's kind of a poor man's version of a Wonderboy Thompson. And what I mean by that is he likes to move a lot. He likes to switch his stance. He likes to throw some kicks from each stance, you know, um, throw body kicks, throw high kicks, throw spinning kicks, and kind of move in and out, move laterally, move in and out. But sometimes he gets stuck. He moves a lot, but he doesn't throw a lot. He'll move around, move around, move around, look for the shot, boom, throw a shot, move, 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 fake, fake and faint, boom, boom, look for a shot, shoot a takedown. You know, he's not very active, and that's going to be a problem in this fight against Means, because Means doesn't stop. Yes, he can get tired in some fights if you're able to hurt him, if you're able to put the pressure on him and hurt him with strikes like Daniel Rodriguez, and then obviously open up um, the attempts for a submission off of a sloppy takedown or something like that, that is where Nicholas Dalby can win this fight, is by opening up submission attempts via sloppy takedowns, by hurting means on the feet, and obviously looking to lock up a submission and uses grappling. I don't think he's going to be able to do that. I think that since Dalby likes to fight at range, switches his stances, move laterally, move in and out, I think he's going to get caught behind that jab. Dalby had a lot of trouble with the jab of... Daniel Rod and D-Rod Rodriguez. He did win that fight. Um, I, I honestly thought it went the other way. I thought that Rodriguez definitely won that, but he had a lot of trouble with that southpaw jab of D-rod, the right hook, the straight left, the check right hook to the and the jab was giving him a lot of problems. And even though Dolby's got good movement, he's got good lateral movement, he does see things. The jab of Tim Means, there's really no windup in it, it just kind of comes out. He can set up combinations off of it, jab, jab, pull uppercut, right hook, jab, jab, hook, right uppercut, slip, shoulder roll, right uppercut, boom, boom, boom. Landing knees, landing elbows on the counter, landing elbows coming forward. He's just dirty. He can mix it up at range. I don't think Dolby's going to be active enough to really do anything. I think the pace of this fight is dictated by that lead, by the jab. He pops that jab out. He uses it to fake and feint, use it to set up the straight left. Right hook, jab, fake, elbow. I think he hurts Dolby, but I think Dolby is tough. He's durable. I think he can last the full 15 minutes, but I think this is a dirty, grimy, violent decision victory. Um, I think the damage goes to Means. I think he lands the bigger shots. He dictates it behind the jab, lands the power shots, and gets the unanimous decision victory. So my pick is Tim the Dirty Bird Means to get this victory via a unanimous decision up next is a fight in the featherweight division between longtime UFC veteran Andre Touchy Feely, who comes into this fight with a record of 21 victories and eight defeats, going up against the UFC. Not a UFC newcomer, but new in his return to the UFC after being gone for, I believe, over five years. That is Daniel the Pit Pineda, who comes into this fight with a record of 27 victories, 14 defeats, and two no contests. Both of these guys have a lot of fights. But Pineda has that experience advantage. 29 fights compared to 43 fights, I believe. Yeah, 43 fights. I was right. Okay. I had to double check my math there. I thought I had done that wrong. But, you know, 29 compared to 43 fights. That's a big, big difference. Obviously, Pineda had some success in the PFL. He had some success outside of the UFC, some early success in the UFC. He left. He came back. Um, got his victory against Herbert Burns, which was a tough, tough fight. Um, actually beat him on the ground, which was pretty impressive. Was able to just ground and pound him, you know, outpace and pressure him after a kind of a tough first round or a tough early first round. Get him into that side control position, lock up the crucifix and just land vicious elbows and punches and elbows and punches and finish him via TKO from that crucifix position. Pineda is good and he's very, very talented. I see a lot of people picking Andre Feely in this fight. They think he's the quicker fighter. They think he's got the more knockout power. They think he has more weapons to win this fight. Um, I do believe that Andre Feely has more weapons to win this fight. But I think you have to look at Andre Feely's UFC career. You know, he's been kind of hot and cold. Get a win there, get two wins, lose back to back. Get a win, get a loss, lose, win, 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 loss, loss, win, loss, win, loss. You know, kind of just on and off. He doesn't have a bad record. 21-8 and eight is not a bad record at all. And Feely is dangerous, but he's not much of a finisher. You know, and I think uh, I think that's going to kind of come to bite him in the ass a little bit in this fight. I think he's going to look to win this fight via decision. I think that's going to be his path to victory. Is trying to grind it out, trying to keep it on the feet, kind of trying to keep him at range, use his speed, use that straight left from Southpaw. Um, use that left body kick, use that jab to a lead high kick from Orthodox that he's very, very good with. Um, you look at the fight against Shaman Morais, he hurt him with a high kick. I believe it was a cross high kick, hurt him and then jumped on him and got the TKO finish. That was the finish that had eluded Andre Feely throughout his entire UFC career. He's not much of a finisher. Um, he likes to win via decision. He's very good on the counter wrestling. He does have some trouble, though, with guys who can you know, take him down and work from that top position. The biggest fight that I think I'm looking at is the fight against Sadiq Youssef. Yes, he did get some counter takedowns as Yusuf pressed forward. Yes, he did do very well from that southpaw stance in that third round, you know, landing that straight left, landing the jab, landing the left body kick. He did very, very well in that third round and stole that third round from Sadiq. But he got out grappled. He got out wrestled. He got out top position and out, out controlled on the ground by a guy like Sadiq Yusuf. Yusuf is not known for his grappling. He does have good grappling, but we don't see it much. And I think with a guy like Daniel Pineda, who's so well versed in the grappling, well versed in the jujitsu, his top control, his top pressure from the half guard, working from the half guard, hiking your rear knee up towards that arm and looking to lock up the crucifix position and then land elbows, land punches, land ground and pound from the full guard, land ground and pound from the half guard. I think his activity, his power, his pressure on the ground and uh, and his power from that ground and pound position is going to be a problem. I think his ability to use his jiu-jitsu and look to lock up submissions, you know, go from a triangle to an arm bar, you know, switch from a full guard to a heel hook to a knee bar, you know, switch to try to take the back. You know, he's got good chaining of submission attempts together and he's got really, really good low kicks. One thing he's going to have to look out for is over pressuring against Feely because if you over pressure, if he, if Feely goes one, two, pulls back, you come forward. He's going to look for you to overextend on your punch so he can duck underneath and get that counter takedown off of your forward pressure. That's something Philly's really good at. I would, I would advise him to work a lot from southpaw in this fight. Look to land the straight left, fake the straight left, land the left body kick, right hook, left body kick, You know, and work from that southpaw stance. I think he can do a lot of good from that southpaw stance. I think he's got the speed advantage. He's got the uh, UFC experience advantage in my opinion. um, I do think that this is a very, very close fight. Very close. It could go either way. It's kind of a coin flip, but based off the inconsistency of Andre Touchy Feely throughout his UFC career, uh, I'm going to go with Daniel Pineda here. I think Pineda is going to be able to get some top control, get some ground and pound off from that top position. Um, I think the later the fight goes, it's going to be a little bit troublesome. I think Feely can steal that third round and possibly make it a split decision. He could steal a win, but I'm going to go with the, the top pressure, the control, and those low kicks of Pineda as long as he sets it up behind a jab, attacking inside, attacking outside, and uh, using that to then, when Feely pressures forward, to get some takedowns of his own. So I'm going to go with Daniel Pineda to get this victory via a 29-28 split decision over the veteran Andre Touchy Feely. Up next in the UFC's bantamweight division, you've got a phenomenal fight between Houni Barcelos, who comes into this fight with a record of 16 victories and one defeat, going up against Timur who comes into this fight with a record of 17 victories, two defeats, and one no contest. This is a really, really good fight, and a lot closer than I think people are giving you know, credit for. Um, Barcelos it reminds me of the perfect mix of a prime young Jose Aldo and an Edson Junior Barbosa. I believe he is a Barbosa Aldo hybrid. He's very very good with his lateral movement. He's good in and out. Um, he's good with countering over the jab with the right hand. Very very good with the one two left hook to the body. Very good with slipping and countering. Very good with pushing back, pushing you back. You know, using lateral movement, using pivots, using angles to cut you off. You know, boom boom one two three boom boom left hook. One, two, three, two, three, uppercut, boom, boom, uppercut, jab, jab, uppercut, jab, uppercut, left hook, jab, right hand. He's very good at mixing up his combinations, but he's not overly active until he knows that he has a read on you. He knows where you're gonna move, he sees your movement patterns, he knows how to counter the shots that you throw. Once he gets a read on you, and once he gets comfortable, that's when he opens up. He's got a he's got a decent left kick to the body, a switch kick, a really solid right low kick, a really, really solid right kick to the body. Um, he's very good everywhere and he's not the type of person that's going to land some shots on you and then stand stationary in the same spot for you to be able to get your counters off this is a guy that always is moving always is is slightly taking using lateral movement to avoid your forward shots you know circling away from your hooks pulling away from your shots and countering two three you know slipping countering quarter turning you know using that angle step to get that you know angle and turn and you know constantly in and out, he's never stationary. When you look at a guy like Timur Val- Lucky Valiev, he fights primarily out of orthodox. Both of these guys are orthodox fighters, but Valiev will switch. Valiev reminds me a little bit of a Magomed Mustafayev. He's very very aggressive. He's very forward pressure heavy, but he's got a little bit better technique. Um, then a guy like Mustafaev. He just reminds me of, of Mustafayev because sometimes he can just get reckless, get crazy. You know, he'll throw a right body kick, switch southpaw, throw a left body kick from there, and then move forward. Boom, boom, left body kick, right body kick, you know, constantly moving. One, two. He could, you know, jump off the cage with a flying tomahawk elbow. I've seen him do that, land some good knees as the opponent tries to change levels. He's very good at getting you up against the cage and ripping. Heavy, heavy shots to the body. Look out for that in this fight. Left, right, left, right, left. Um, He did that against Trevin Jones, which was something that uh, he almost got the finish early in that fight. After a brutal kick to the body, he pushed forward. Left, right, left, right, left, right. Wasn't able to get the finish. And then obviously in the second round, Trevin Jones was able to come back and uh, land a beautiful um, right hook off of a ill-timed inside low kick or outside low kick. I think it was inside. Yeah. Over off a, uh, ill-timed inside low kick, counter him, drop him, jump on him and get the finish. The fight was obviously overturned. Um, and it, it was a no contest because of a positive marijuana drug test that, you know, Trevin Jones had, but he still got knocked out. He still got finished. And, uh, you know, and that's something that I think worries me a little bit, not to say I don't think Trevin Jones has power, But I think Barcelos' technique is so much better than Trevin Jones. I think he's so much more active. He's so much more defensively aware. I think this is going to cause big, big problems for a guy like Valiev. I think that Valiev's activity early on can kind of make um, Barcelos kind of back up and move away a little bit. I think this plays out very similarly to the Syed. Nurmagomedov fight, um, where early on, you know, Barcelos did dominate the fight the more that it went, the longer that it went, but early on he had a little bit of trouble with the constant movement, you know, the spinning kicks, the roundhouse kicks, the two-touch jumping roundhouse, the spinning hook kicks, you know, all those jumping kicks and the punches were kind of making Barcelos have to back up, kind of cut an angle, switch stance, you know, slip and pivot, slip and pivot, you know, back up, and then counter over the jab, right hand, left hook. Left hook, right hand, boom, 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 you know, and moving and constantly, you know, trying to see the shots coming. He's got very good eyes, does Barcelos. And a lot of that forward heavy aggressive pressure of Nurmagomedov was able to get countered with takedown attempts and, you know, the ability to take back control and the ability to take the backside control and put that shin against the calf of Nurmagomedov and then work to get your hooks in and take the back and work from the body triangle. And you know, after a, an ill time spinning back fist, catch him in a in a like a cradle type position under hook under the leg, slam the opponent, get in top position, work from the half guard, transition to mount, get the back control. Her, Barcelos is a solid solid grappler, as is Valiev, but I just think Barcelos is a little bit better everywhere this fight takes place. Like I said, a mixture of Barbosa and Aldo. Barbosa and Aldo hybrid. I could see this guy becoming a champion. You know, he's 16 and one. Um, you know, Valiev, 17, 2 and 1. So they're they're very close in terms of records. This is a high-level mixed martial arts contest, but I do believe that Barcelos' technique, his defensive awareness, his ability to use footwork can avoid that can negate some of the forward, heavy, reckless style of a guy like Valiev. And I think overall, I think Barcelos is just going to finally find that opening, land that straight left and the or the straight right, the left hook, land the uppercut. Um, he's very good with the body shot and the uppercuts up against the cage. I think he's going to find an opening, crack him with that uppercut, left hook, uppercut, boom, boom, left hook, uppercut, one, one, two, hook, uppercut, land those combinations up against the cage, crack Valiev on the chin, drop him and get a TKO. I'm going to go with Houni Barcelos. To get the victory over Timur Valiev via a second round TKO by catching him with a shot, hurting him, getting him up against the cage, and unloading those heavy combinations up against the cage and getting the finish. Up next is a fight in the heavyweight division, the co main event of the evening between Tanner, the bulldozer Bozer, who holds a record of 19 victories, eight defeats, and one no contest. Going up against Ovince St. Pru, who comes into this fight, his first fight at heavyweight, I believe, after being a light heavyweight for so long, with a record of 25 victories and 15 defeats. Um, Heavy, heavy UFC experience advantage here for OSP. Um, You know, 40 fights compared to 28 for um, Tanner Bozer. So it's a big experience advantage, a big UFC experience advantage. St. Pru's fought some of the best of the best. You know, fought Corey Anderson, fought John Jones, fought you know Alonzo Menfield. He's fought some very, very good competition in his UFC career. Um, however, I just think OSP is on the downward spiral of his career. Um, he got that good victory over uh, Alonzo Menfield, where he was able to counter him with a step back right hook. I believe it was a right hook as he stepped back up against the cage, countered him with that right hook, dropped him coming in, and got the the knockout. Um, but you look at his last fight against. Who was it against? Alir Latifi, I believe. No, his last fight was against Jamal Hill, right? Hold on. Ovint. Oh, Crew. Last fight. Oh, yeah. His last fight, he lost via second round knockout to Jamal Hill. Hill was obviously 6 and 0, or I'm sorry, 8 and 0 going into that fight. I thought he was. Seven one in his last fight, and then he lost. Or seven and zero, and then he lost to uh, Paul Craig. Um, I get this says eight and one, or yeah, eight and one. I think he's seven and one. So he was six and zero going into the fight against OSP, and he just got the knockout in the second round. Not to say I don't think Jamal Hill's talented. Not to say I don't think he's good enough. But I think that. You know, the range and the distance management and the the control of Jamal Hill, you know, keeping him at range was a problem for OSP. But I think that the footwork, the movement, the combinations, the stance switches of Tanner Bozer, I think that's all just going to spell big, big trouble for OSP. The best opportunity and the best path to victory for Ovin St. Peru is to get takedowns and try to lock up that Von Peru choke, um, uh, the Von Flu choke, obviously. But they call it the Von Pru because he got the most um, Von Flu chokes in the UFC. So, you know, or the OSP choke, whatever you want to call it. He's, if he gets it to the ground and is able to lock up a submission, I think he can win this fight. He's got to use his grappling on the feet. I think the movement, the speed, um, the combination striking of Tanner Bozer with the one, two, three, two back fist, one, one, two. Um, I think all those, the long striking combinations, the stance switches, the switching stance combinations of Bozer along with the power and his clean technique is going to just be too much for OSP. Um, I know a lot of people are probably sleeping on Bozer because I believe he's coming off two back-to-back losses. He shouldn't have lost that fight against uh, against Alir Latifi. It was close, but I, do, I did give the slight advantage to um, Tanner Bozer. So I think he's on a little bit of a cool down after his last few losses. I think he comes back big here. I think OSP, you know, he kind of gets tired in fights. His cardio has been a little bit of an issue for him over his career. I think that he eventually gets caught, stuck, staring in the mirror after Bozer puts the pressure and lands these long combinations. The more punches you throw at OSP, the more he kind of freezes up and stands in one stationary position. I think he gets him to freeze up, lands a brutal combination – Drops OSP and gets the finish. I'm going to go with a first-round knockout victory for Tanner Bozer over the former title challenger in Ovint St. Prue. All right, now we move to the main event of the evening, a battle between top five ranked UFC heavyweight contenders. Could the winner of this fight be next for the heavyweight champion Francis the Predator Ganu? They damn sure as shit could be. And it's the number three ranked Cyril Bonhamin Gan who comes into this fight undefeated at eight victories, no defeats, coming off of a huge decision win over Jerzinho Biggie Boy Rosenstrike, going up against the number five ranked Alexander Drago Volkov, coming into this fight with a record of 33 victories and eight defeats, coming off of a win over. Alistair, the ream, overream via second round knockout. This is a phenomenal fight, guys. This is a great fight. Um, It could become one of the more boring fights on the card just because of how technical and sharp both of these guys seem to be in the striking game. I don't necessarily see a way for this to have a ton of grappling in it. If somebody is to grapple, I could see Gan looking to take down Volkov and work from the top position because he had so much so much trouble with the takedown and wrestling the takedowns and wrestling of a of Curtis blades, even though Gan isn't at the same level in terms of grappling or wrestling as a blades. So it's more than likely going to be a kickboxing fight for as long as it lasts and if it goes the full twenty five minutes. Let's take a look at some of the stats. Obviously, for Surreal Gone versus Volkov, um, last fight coming in, they're both coming off wins. Height 6'4 for Gone to 6'7 for the fifth ranked Drago Volkov. Um, so a three inch height advantage, but when it comes to the reach, it is a one inch reach advantage for Cyril Gone, and Gone is going to look to use that reach to the best. Of his ability, but I believe that the height of Volkov is going to give Gon some trouble when trying to use that reach advantage. It's only an inch, so they're very close. But I think the height advantage, the three-inch height advantage for Volkov, is going to give some trouble to a guy like Cyril Gon. Let's look at some of the other stats. When it comes to leg reach, 42 inches for Cyril, gone to a 47.5 inch leg reach for Volkov. I think that is going to play heavy into this fight, especially when it comes to the front kick to the body, potentially to the liver of Gon. Looking at the win percentages for both guys, 38% of wins coming by way of knockout for 0, 38% coming by way of submission, and 25 by decision. So more of a finisher than a decision fighter, but more of an all-around all well-rounded competitor. Equal percentage of wins coming by way of knockout as to submissions. That's why I believe that if takedowns are going to be used in this fight and top game and jiu-jitsu, it's going to be from the undefeated gone. When you look at Alexander Volkov, 67% of wins coming by way of knockout, 9% by submission, 24% via decision. So uh, Volkov is more likely to get the win via a knockout. He has more power in his shots, and uh, if anybody gets a knockout in this fight, I do believe it to be Volkov. When you look at the average fight time, pretty close, 13 minutes, 18 seconds for the undefeated Cyril Gan to 15 minutes for alexander volkov so volkov has a little bit of an advantage in terms of total fight time knockdown averages per 15 minutes 0.45 for cyril Gan, to 0.33 for alexander volkov when you look at the significant strike percentages 5.04 landed per minute for, for gone to 6.19 for volkov um, significant strike percentage pretty close 55 percent Significant strike accuracy for gone to 59% for Volkov. So Volkov is the more accurate in terms of the significant strikes. When it comes to strikes absorbed per minute, 1.85 for gone to 3.3. So even though um, Volkov seems to land more shots, gone is better defensively. When it comes to total defense, it's a pretty Big discrepancy. 69% of all significant strikes defended by Cyril Ghosn to 58% for Volkov. When it comes to the grappling, uh, 1.13 takedowns per 15-minute fight for Gone to 1 takedown for Volkov. Uh, 26% takedown accuracy for Gone to a 75% takedown accuracy rate for Volkov. But I do not expect to see much uh, in the way of takedowns and jiu in this fight. Takedown defense 100% for Gon to 76% for Volkov and 0.45 submission average for Cyril to none for Volkov. All right, so when you get into this fight, I mean, one thing you got to take into consideration is the experience level here. Yes, Cyril Gon trains with the current reigning defending heavyweight champion, the scariest man on the planet— Francis Ngannou. He trains with the heavyweight champion. He knows his strengths. He knows his weaknesses. He knows his game plans. That could be a reason why he's done so well in the UFC and why he remains undefeated. However, when you look at total fights, eight total fights for Cyril Gann to 41 for Volkov. That is a huge difference. That is a 32-fight difference. 32 more fights for Volkov compared to Ghan. Now that is not taking into consideration Gon, you know, his kickboxing fights, his vast experience in the kickboxing world before he moved over to MMA. So MMA experience heavily on the side of Volkov. Kickboxing and like stand-up fight experience would go to Cyril Gon. When it comes to how I see this fight playing out, Um, you know, I think when it comes to footwork and movement and fakes and feints, that definitely goes to Gone here. He's always constantly, you know, fake the jab, throw the left hook, you know, throw the left hook to get the angle, fake the hip with the rear kick to uh switch stances into southpaw, fake again from southpaw with the left leg to step back into orthodox and possibly land an elbow. He uses those uh fake, those hip feints and those kick feints to disguise the stance switches as he moves forward. Fake, fake, frame, elbow, like he did against JDS. Fake, fake to frame, boom, boom. Right hand, left hook. Um, he's very good offensively and defensively. He's got a really good game when it comes to, um, you know, being defensively aware. He doesn't keep his hands high. He likes to primarily use his range to stay away from a lot of shots and slip his head off the center line and then roll. So slip and roll away from the shots, use his long lead arm or rear arm, depending on the stance, to frame away from the opponent and keep them at a distance where they can't hit him. The problem with this fight, I think the, that the height advantage for Volkov is going to play a little into this fight a little bit. Um, I do think that Obviously, most experienced person that Volkov has fought. That doesn't mean that Gon is not an experienced guy to only have eight pro fights and have wins over guys like Junior Dos Santos and Jerzinho Rosenstrike. Even though the Rosenstrike fight was boring, it was it was a technical fight. In my opinion, I liked it. I liked it a lot because it was so technical and Gon just fought a masterful fight. He's very good at throwing the jab from Orthodox and Southpaw. He's very good out of out of both stances. Um, he can fight almost as good from each stance, which is kind of impressive, especially for the heavyweight division in the heavyweight division. You don't normally get people who switch stance and let alone get people who are good at fighting from both stances equally. I think he's just as good from orthodox as he is from Southpaw. I think in this fight, he's going to want to primarily stick to the Southpaw stance just to get that outside foot on a guy like Volkov who primarily fights out of the orthodox stance. Um, I think that's going to be the best weapon for him. I think we're going to see him stand in orthodox, but switch. And if he switches back to orthodox, it's just going to be to trick up Volkov and get a a slight angle on him and then switch back to southpaw to get him to circle in the opposite direction in the incorrect way to then run into the strikes from southpaw, whether it's the left body kick, the left straight, or the check right hook. We're going to see a lot of check hooks from a guy like gone against Volkov because Volkov does seem to plod forward. He doesn't really use a lot of movement and he's not really good at keeping his head off the center line, but since he's so tall and long and rangy for the weight class, he gets away with keeping his head up high and just keeping opponents at kicking range. Um, one weapon I think that's going to be a big advantage for Volkov is landing that front kick to the body that you saw him use against Overeem, and you saw it work wonders when he landed on the liver, excuse me, of Walt Harris, that front kick to the body, that stabbing front kick right to the bread basket, just uh, take the air out of Cyril Ghosn. I think he's going to look to use that and use that a lot. Now, since Ghosn has really good um, extensive kickboxing experience, I could see Ghosn catching the kick, hiking it up, and using it as a tie style traditional trip, catching the kick and dumping the opponent. I think we could see that from um gone, but since Volkov has the height advantage, it's going to be a little bit harder for him to get that catch-and-trip takedown or catch-and-dump than he would on some other opponents. Um, Like we said, the the experience and training with um, the the heavyweight champion is big. Um, The longer the fight goes, I would favor gone. I think if it goes all five rounds, I think the only person that would win a decision is gone. I think if there's a finish... I definitely lean towards Volkov. And I think the the difference in this fight is the power, the power of Volkov. When you see him even land a jab on Walt Harris and stumble him backwards, every time he landed a power shot, there was a point where he picked up his right leg and, you know, briefly stepped into southpaw, right hand, left hook, boom. And when he landed it, when he disguised that stance switch with picking that leg up, like he was going to knee or kick and he landed that left hand, he stumbled him and hurt him really bad. Um, the the uppercut to the left hook is a really good combination from Volkov and his most you utilized punch his, the well, that's not what I want to say. Excuse what I just said. He, he tends to hurt opponents more from his weaker side, which is that lead left side. With that left hook, whether it's set up from an uppercut, whether it's a straight right to a left hook, whether it's a jab to a left hook, he tends to hurt opponents more by landing that left hook. Even against Wal Harris where he switched briefly and went the right jab to the to the left hook, boom, he hurt him and he stumbled him backwards. He's good at landing behind the ear, hurting the opponent and stumbling him. He's also very good with the uppercut. And since Gan is so well-versed at moving forward and switching stances and switching stances moving backwards, switching stances to get outside foot, get the outside foot and get the outside angle and circle away, I think if he catches Gan circling with the left hook, it's, it's going to be good for him. I think that um, the knee up the middle is a really good weapon for Volkov as well. You want to catch Gan mid stance switch, whether he's backing up and just moving his feet to switch his stance and throw off your um, game plan to, to make you think the opponent, the attack's coming from the left, then it's coming from the right, then the left, then the right doing that is going to make it harder for um, Volkov to get his patterns going. Since he's not really well versed in the footwork and the movement, he kind of just plods forward and uses a little bit of lateral movement compared to gone. Who's in and out lateral movement, angle step, you know, Pivot, you know, switching stances forward, moving backward, um, throwing knees, throwing elbows, throwing front kicks and switching stance, throwing a body kick and, and dropping the foot down to switch the stance from orthodox to south bar, or vice versa. That's going to be a big weapon for Gon. But with Volkov, I think he's got to use that front kick. He's going to want to keep him at jab range. When he steps in, you're going to want to land that knee and you're going to want to catch Gon mid stance switch. You want to catch him just as he puts that foot down, just as he's about to stand switch from orthodox to southpaw or southpaw to orthodox. As he's moving forward, when he's square, you know, you want to catch him square right before he stand switches because he's going to be square. He's going to be right head on. Volkov's going to want to catch him with the right hand. He's going to want to fake the knee probably and then switch and go straight right, left hook. He's going to want to catch him on the left side since he's probably going to be fighting a southpaw. That is going to be your check left hook. Um, I think he's going to look to stand switch, possibly. Fake the stand switch and then bringing that foot back into the original. Stance, boom, catch him with the left hook. Fake the stance switch, boom, left hook, right hand, left hook. Um, catch him with the knees up the middle. The front kick to the body and the left hook is going to be the big, the biggest weapons for, for uh, Alexander Volkov. When it comes to the biggest weapons for Cyril Gan, um, it's going to be just constantly keeping – Volkov behind your jab. Get Volkov to bite on the feints. Get him to move backwards as you stance switch and get him to walk, walk into your shots as he's coming forward. Boom, right hand. Coming forward, jab left hook. Switch stance southpaw. Jab right hook, left body kick. Um, you know, stance switch back to orthodox, double jab, jab left hook, one, two, constantly moving, move, walk forward into opposite stances, get him to freeze up, land elbows, walk forward. Frame off the head, boom, straight left. Frame off the head, boom, straight right. Just constantly picking him apart. You're gonna want to. You're gonna have to pick apart Volkov for almost the entire 25 minutes. And I think that Gon can do that, but I think Volkov has way more power. I think Volkov is the way more experienced guy. I think Volkov is gonna find an opening when Gon switches stances or when Gon backs up and tries to slip away from the punches. The height advantage is going to come into play. I think he's not – Gon's not used to fighting somebody who's taller than him, and that's going to come into play. He's going to hurt him backing up as he's trying to slip away from a shot, catch him with that left hook, drop him, jump on him, and get the TKO. My pick is Alexander Volkov to hand Cyril Gon his first professional defeat via a third-round TKO. That's my pick. I, I just, that, those are my picks for the card, guys. That's how I feel. I hope you guys enjoyed. I hope you guys enjoy the fights tomorrow, which start early, I believe. I think they start at 4 p.m. Central Time, either 3 or 4 p.m. Central Time. These picks are coming out late. I hope enough people have the chance to listen to these, but I wanted to make sure I got them out no matter what. Um, as always, thank you guys, whoever's tuning into this podcast, whether you're a first time listener or a multiple episode listener. Thank you for anybody who supports this show. This uh, The Touch Em Up podcast is available anywhere the podcasts are distributed. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Anchor, Stitcher, Podbean. Anywhere you can get your podcasts, you can get the Touch Em Up podcast. I'm your host, Double M, and I'm out. Have a good night, everybody, all right?